Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. See you all this evening. Let me invite you to take your Bible and join me in the book of Philemon, the shortest of Paul's letters. Last of Paul's letters, interestingly, it is last because it is the shortest. If you've ever looked at the letters of Paul from Romans to Philemon, basically they do follow an order of the largest moving to the shortest. And this is a much neglected book, but a book that I think has a wonderful message. In fact, I intend sometime in the near future to preach through it because I do think it has such wisdom pastorally. Uh, for how it is that we deal with difficult relationships in life. And uh, tonight we're going to look at verses 17 through 23. Actually, we could go ahead and say 17 through 25. And let me read those with you. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. That is Paul talking to Philemon about his slave Onesimus. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You see on the very first page of your notes this evening that I've entitled Philemon from bondage to brotherhood, forgiveness, reconciliation and restitution. And basically the book revolves around three major sections, a prayer of thanksgiving. That is the first part of the book. A petition for the slave Onesimus, which is in the middle part of the book. And then a promise to Philemon that is in the latter part of the book. Basically, again, if you look at the topics, he is going to talk about the character of Philemon. And he was a very fine man. He is going to talk about the providential conversion of Onesimus, this runaway slave. And then he will give evidence of his confidence that Philemon indeed will do the right thing and receive Onesimus back both in terms of forgiveness but now receive him back not as a slave, but as a brother. And this, again, is a prison epistle written between AD 60 and 63. Uh, A summary of it, the book of Philemon is about a slave by the name of Onesimus who ran away from his master, a man named Philemon. Onesimus fled to Rome where he came into contact, providentially, I would add, with Paul, and he was saved. He was converted. Now Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter, which asks the master to forgive his former slave, who is now his brother in Christ. And so with that as a brief uh, summary statement, look with me on page 2. This brief 25-verse letter is unique in the writings of Paul. 
though addressed to Philemon of Colossae, does not strictly speaking a private letter as its contents reveal. Indeed, uh, interestingly, there are 11 personal names in this short book, which I will later tell you why I think they are there. It is occasioned by a personal problem that the apostle hopes to resolve. Indeed, the letter provides an interesting glimpse into the Apostle Paul's strategy in handling personal issues as they impact the lives of his converts. And here's a good Bible trivia point for you. Philemon is one of the five one-chapter books of the Bible, the other four being Obadiah, which almost always is neglected, Second and Third John, and the book of Jude. And later we will see that actually the shortest book of the Bible is the book of Third John. Authorship. Paul is studied as the author there in verse 1. Again, in verse 19, basically only the most radical scholars have questioned it. And so we will simply note that its authenticity and canonicity uh, are indeed strong from internal evidence as well as the traditions of the church that this book was written by Paul. Date and location, well, it is like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, a prison letter. And the traditional view is that the letter was written from Rome between AD 60 and 63, and the imprisonment is that of Paul's first Roman incarceration, as we have it in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. And although Paul penned four letters during his first Roman imprisonment, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, I think you'll find this interesting. Ephesians and Colossians are sometimes called twin epistles because of their similar content. And Colossians and Philemon are often called sister epistles because of their common recipient and destination. And then I point out that there are some who have hypothesized another possible location. There's not really much evidence for this. Some of you can argue, if you look at the top of page 3, that Philemon is actually referred to in Colossians 4, 16, and 17 as the letter to the Laodiceans. And because we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans, some people have thought, well, maybe Philemon is that book. But again, I would argue that the weak is very, uh, that the argument is very weak, the evidence is very weak, and that simply the letter to the Laodiceans has not been preserved. Uh, furthermore, uh, I believe that Philemon was in Colossae. He was not in Laodicea, so I think it falters on that point as well. And so again, we will note, written by Paul, first Roman imprisonment, AD 60-63, written to uh, a man by the name of Philemon, who lived also in the city of Colossae, most likely Archippus and Onesimus at the same time. Carried back to the church at Colossae, both the book of Colossians as well as the book of Philemon. And I think that we could uh, make a good argument for that being the case. But now let's move to what is, uh, this letter is about. And I again find this uh, fascinating as to how Paul uh, deals with this situation. Occasional epistle. This letter is a semi-private and personal appeal by Paul to Philemon asking him, to unconditionally forgive and receive back his slave Onesimus without penalty. He acknowledges that before he was a slave, but now he is a beloved brother. Furthermore, Paul will personally be responsible for any debts that Onesimus has, uh, has incurred. In fact, again, verse 18, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my Account. So Paul will take care of anything that Onesimus may have done wrong, which probably indicates that perhaps when Onesimus ran away, 
uh, he did take some things. He perhaps robbed his master to have uh, sufficient funds to make his way to Rome, where he hoped to get lost in that very large city. But by God's providence, he comes in contact with Paul. Uh, Paul leads him to Christ. Paul knows Philemon. He sends him back, and hence we have the book Philemon telling us what Paul hoped would be the end result of all of that. We don't know why Onesimus ran away or if he did take anything from his master, though I think it's implied that he did. All we know is that the conversion of Onesimus and Paul's appeal. Since a slave was subject to severe discipline for running away, even death, Paul's appeal is a kind and gracious act on behalf of Onesimus. Let me quickly add. In the first century, it has been estimated that as much as one-third of the Roman Empire lived in slavery. Furthermore, it was not racially determined. Slaves came from all sorts of racial backgrounds. You were just as likely uh, to have white skin as you would have black skin as you would have brown skin. And in fact, uh, many, many Jews uh, were enslaved at the time of the writing of uh, Philemon in the writings of the first century. So understand that slavery was part and partial uh, of the fabric of the Roman Empire. It was not uh, racially uh, specific. It crossed all sorts of racial uh, and geographical and political barriers. But again, a slave was basically subject in totality to his master. If he wanted to, the master at his own discretion could put a slave to death. Certainly a runaway slave would be in danger of that if he were captured. In this case, Paul amazingly sends him back. He sends him back because he is confident that Philemon will do the right thing now that Onesimus is not only a slave. Actually, he's much more than that. He is now a brother. Thus, the last paragraph of page three, this epistle then is also insightful as a guide as to how believers might go about the task of mediating conflicts within the family of God. Uh, As an instruction manual in resolving personal difficulties between Christians, it is of great value. And Tychicus probably was the one who accompanied Onesimus back to Philemon as he returned from Paul, also in his possession, having the letter of Colossians. Look at the top of page four, then. Key personalities in the letter. Philemon, of course, is the person whom the letter is written to. Uh, His name means affectionate. He was a citizen of Colossae. Uh, This emerges from the fact that Onesimus, Colossians 4, 9, and Archippus, Colossians 4, 17, are also from Colossae. He was evidently wealthy enough to have slaves and was converted to Christianity, evidently by Paul. So, again, amazingly... Uh, uh, Onesimus runs away. Can you believe it? He runs into Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. Paul begins to talk to him and he says, by the way, from where did you run? Well, uh, I ran away from Colossae. Oh, I've got friends in Colossae. Really? Like who? Like a man named Philemon. Philemon? Yes, I led him to Christ. That is my master. Again, the providence of God. Uh, In many ways, Philemon reminds me of the book of Ruth, where things just happen to fall out in a certain way with God quietly and almost uh, you don't even see his hand, yet it's very active in bringing certain things to pass. Furthermore, uh, Philemon was wealthy enough that evidently the church could meet in his home based upon verse 2. 
Onesimus, the runaway slave, his name means useful or profitable. And interestingly, in the Greek text, there's a play on his name in verse 11, where uh, Paul says at one time he was unprofitable, but now he is profitable. Now he actually is living up to his name. And he was Philemon's slave. He had run away to come into contact with Paul, became a Christian. He became close to Paul and was regarded uh, as a valuable assistant by him. And so Onesimus is a very interesting personality whom the book revolves around, even though it is written to Philemon. Then Appia, a feminine name, means endearment. John Chrysostom and Theodoret believed that she was Philemon's wife. And according to church tradition, she died as a martyr. Archippus means simply master of the horse or perhaps the chief groom, which has no theological significance whatsoever. That's just what his name meant. Many think he was possibly the son of Philemon and Appia or Appia. And he may have even been the pastor of the church meeting in their home because he is called a fellow soldier. And also he is told to be active in his ministry in chapter 4, verse 17 of the book of Colossians. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there are a total of 11 names in this short letter. In addition to Philemon and Onesimus and Appia and Archippus, there's also Timothy, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. 11 names. Now you say, why in the world... Would Paul go to such lengths to give all these names in such a short letter? Because he wanted Philemon to know. Everybody is aware of this situation. Everybody is watching to see what you are going to do with Onesimus. In other words, this is not just Paul bringing his weight to bear on this. He is letting Philemon also know, well, basically everybody's kind of got their arms folded Waiting to see what you are going to do. No, no pressure there. No uh, gentle arm twisting there. Oh, yes, Paul is a master of uh, what I would call mitigated arm twisting in this particular letter, as we will see beautifully in just a moment. Number five, then, the social impact of this book. Dealing with a problem arising out of the institution of slavery. Uh, this letter has figured prominently in debates surrounding that issue. Indeed, it has confidently been appealed to both by those who sanctioned slavery as well as those who advocated its abolition. In other words, you go back to uh, Baptist life in the late 17 and early 1800s and you find persons on both sides of the slavery issue pointing to Philemon saying, this book supports my position. And very interestingly, certain uh, Baptists, for example, Wayland and Fuller, uh, though they continued corresponding, were on dramatically opposite ends of that issue, and yet they both would appeal to a book like Philemon for their support. Now, note my next statements very carefully. While it is true that the words of the apostle here cannot be construed to advocate the abolition of slavery, the spirit of the letter has definitely supported that position. The manner in which Paul treats the problem of Onesimus indicates the way in which Christianity confronted the evils of human society. To have directly denounced the institution of human slavery would have precipitated an immediate conflict between Rome and Christianity. Indeed, he would have been accused of sedition and subversion. It would have marked Christians as being antisocial and would have turned all the powers of the empire against it on legal grounds. Instead of making a frontal attack upon the institution of slavery, Christianity inculcated a spirit of love, grace, 
compassion, and consideration, which ultimately meant the death knell of that institution. But don't you miss my last statement here. That anyone claiming the name of Jesus Christ could advocate slavery is simply another indictment of our depravity and our wickedness. And tragically, those of us like me who grew up in the South have an absolutely horrible, horrible, despicable legacy in this area. And we can only hang our heads in shame at what our forefathers believed and practiced in this particular area. Indeed, you will find nothing in the Bible that ordains or sanctions slavery. You find the Bible regulating it, but you do not find the Bible ordaining it. It is simply an evidence of the utter depravity and wickedness of the human heart left unchecked. Structuring key verse. Philemon is a marvelous example of the use of what we could call mitigated exhortation. How do you like that for a fancy phrase? Indeed, as a type of hortatory or exhortation discourse, it contains the three salient components of, one, a problem, two, a command to fix the problem, and three, motivation for you to fix the problem. However, Paul mitigates the command to the final position of the text. And I find this, again, utterly fascinating. This is borne out by the fact that there is not a single imperative, a word of command, in verses 1 through 16. But in verses 17 through 20, there are three imperatives that follow rapidly one another and a fourth in verse 22. Verse 17, therefore, is the key to the book where Paul says to Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. Paul then employs psychological tact while at the same time not sacrificing his apostolic authority. And then some points of interest concerning Philemon, Paul's shortest book, 25 verses, only 335 words in the original text, the most private of all of Paul's letters. It presents a beautiful picture of the gospel by way of analogy. Please underline the phrase, by way of analogy. You say, what's the analogy? Well, number one, all of us were once like Onesimus, runaways from our rightful owner. We were sinners running from God. Secondly, like Paul for Onesimus, someone on our behalf has pleaded our case, even fulfilling what you see there in verse 17. God, if he's wronged you, put that to my account, which is exactly what Jesus did when he bore our sins on the cross. And then thirdly, through our advocate, the Lord Jesus, we can be restored. In the book of Philemon, it is a slave now becoming a brother. For you and me, it is now adoption as sons and daughters through our mediator who paid our debt and has made things right for us to return to our rightful owner who is now not only God as creator, but now he's also God as father. Exegetical insights, what are the key words you find in Philemon? Well, the word Lord occurs six times, the word Jesus five, the word Christ seven times. The word love, agape, in some form occurs five times. And what is translated heart, or maybe if you have an old King James, bowels, uh, what really means the innermost being of a person, and it's very strategic. That word occurs three times in verse 7, verse 12, and also in verse 20. And then on page 6, you should also note that the word prisoner. 
Sometimes translated chains occurs five times in verse 1, verse 9, verse 10, verse 13. You also have the phrase fellow prisoner in verse 23, though there it is a different Greek word. And then I'll just do a little survey for you of what the different words in Greek look like. Move down then to number two, a key idea, the house church. There's no evidence for church buildings of any magnitude until the third century. Interestingly, without elaborate buildings, budgets, programs, the early church took the gospel message literally across the world with tremendous success via the hand of God. And indeed, there are no less than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight references in the New Testament to churches that are meeting in houses. And I have listed them there for you so that you just might have that information. You then find uh, an expanded outline on page 7 and on page 8 that I've included for you to have just for your benefit. Go with me then to page 9 and let's talk very quickly about the grace of, of gentle arm twisting, a marvelous model of tact. Now, actually to get running into it, I think it would be worth our time just to playfully walk through the verses before we get to verse 17. Because again, what Paul does is just masterful. I mean, Paul was a spiritual, psychological genius. And so look at how he begins the book. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Paul does not usually refer to himself as a prisoner up front. He usually gives that to us later. Oh, he's not going to just do it later. Remember, how many times did he say, I'm a prisoner? Five times. Now, why would you do that? Well, is that going to make uh, Philemon to feel harsh toward him or soft toward him? Well, that's a no-brainer. Poor old Paul in prison. Poor old Paul not knowing whether he's going to be released or not. Poor old Paul perhaps ready to be executed. And now poor old Paul's asking me to let this slave go free. What would you do? Well, Paul, that's just too bad. I don't give a rip if you're going to have your head chopped off. No, 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 no. You likewise would have your heart being tugged at. So the very first verse, he's already kind of reaching out there to grab Philemon's heart. But, oh, he's not going to just grab it. He's going to yank that puppy. You just watch what he does here, all right? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, who is what? Our beloved and fellow laborer. And also to his beloved, Aphia, Archippus, who is our Fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he really gets into it. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. By the way, that probably is uh, somewhat of a chiastic arrangement because faith naturally goes with the Lord Jesus and love naturally goes with toward all the saints. So he's saying, I have heard how you have such great faith in our Lord Jesus and how you have great love for how many of the saints? All. What is Onesimus now? A saint. See, again, just put yourself in this position now. Here's Philemon. Gets up one day, and this slave of his is gone. And he had every right in the Roman Empire to have slaves. Not only is that rascal gone, he probably stole some stuff. And so he's been fuming. He's been hostile. He has probably a root of bitterness that's now growing up into a big oak tree. And here Paul writes me and says, man... Well, I just, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. 
Why, you're just a good fellow. Why, you have faith in Jesus and you love all the saints. And probably old Philemon said, yeah, I love all the saints. Now, I hate that rascal Onesimus, but I love all the saints. Well, just just be ready, boy. It's, it's coming. I mean, you can see this big train from a long distance, and it's going to run slap dab over Philemon in just a moment. Well, he keeps going there. And... I've also learned that the sharing of your faith, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of what? Every good thing which is in you. And of course, he's expecting another good thing to be in him in just a few minutes. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation or encouragement in your love because the hearts, and there's that word, bowels. Splagna. It means what you are in here. It's like the butterflies in the stomach. And so when you get uh, kind of a deep internal feeling for someone, we will use the word heart. Uh, the old King James used the word bowels. That just means, you know, who you are really in here. And so Paul can say here that I have great joy. I have great comfort, encouragement in your love because the innermost being of the saints has been refreshed. By you, brother. Now, mark that word refresh, because he's going to use it again over there in verse 20, where in essence he says, you've refreshed the brothers, now refresh me, Paul. Well, how do I refresh you, Paul? By treating Onesimus like a brother and letting him go. All right, now, so sweet prayer. Onesimus has got the letter just grinning like a Cheshire cat, feeling good about who he is, feeling good about what Paul thinks about him. Now, notice. We're already up to verse 7, and he ain't said a word about Onesimus. He, I mean, he ain't mentioned that rascal. And see, I, I have this figured out in my mind, by the way, just so that you know what I think really happened that day. I think um, Tychicus is the one that actually gave him the letter. Now, Onesimus is with him. But I think Onesimus is kind of hanging outside, kind of around the corner, so to speak. And he's he's listening. And he hears uh, Tychicus going and say, by the way, got a letter from you, uh, uh, for you from Paul. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Here, why don't you read the letter? Read it out loud. Let me hear it, too. Well, yeah, I do that. So he starts off, and oh, man, he's just getting praise to the high heavens in verses 4 through 7. So he's just feeling good and happy, and boy, Paul's blessing him. And so now we come to verse 8. Therefore, therefore, don't you hate those therefores? It's kind of like, you know, you know, brother? I want you to know you do a really good job around here, but, well, but's just like therefore. I mean, it, it's, you could just have easily said, you have refreshed the hearts of the brothers, but, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. In other words, Paul says, look, I could pull my apostle card and just tell you flat out what you got to do. But, oh, I would never do that. No, not me. I, I, I'm gentle. I'm a sweet old man, so I, I could pull rank, but I'm not going to. Yet for, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, and then is this not good, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, bless my heart, I'm in jail, I'm an old man, you know, but don't, don't let that bother you as you think about what you're going to do. Of course, you can't help but be bothered because that's what he just told you he is. You can't escape. It's like Paul said, now I'm not going to put any pressure on you. And then what does Paul do? He puts pressure on him. And so he's just masterful. I mean, this is, this is one of the most unbelievable, uh, dramatic 
presentations I've ever come across in my life. That's why I love the book so much. So now he's just not twisting his arm, but he is. I'm old. I'm a prisoner. Verse 10. So I appeal to you for what? My what? Son. My son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. And by the way, you get the Greek text out. Onesimus is the last word in verse 10. Literally, I appeal to you for my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains, Onesimus. And I believe at that point, Onesimus steps into the room. And so there he is, looking at the letter and looking at this guy that ran away. And Paul has just set him up like a big dog. Oh, but he's not even through yet. Let's keep going. Paul's honest. He was once unprofitable to you. But now he is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own spalagna, my own inner self. In other words, you treat him just like you would treat me. That's pretty heavy stuff. Whom I wish to keep with me. That on your behalf, he might minister to me in my change for the gospel. In other words, Paul says, I'd like to have kept him. And if I had kept him, it would have given you a chance to do a good deed for Jesus. He could have been there when you weren't there. He could have been doing for me what you should have been doing. Well, he didn't say it exactly like that. But he basically says, I'd have kept him. And if I'd have kept him, he would have been doing for me on your behalf. Well, I'm here. In ha- How many times has he got to tell him he's in chains? I mean, goodness gracious, by now, I mean, I think Onesimus is, or Polemus is having visions of this. Well, we, let's keep going. He's not through. But without your consent, oh, no, 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 I want to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. And then he, now he gets theological. Perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. It's just Romans 8, 28. God causing all things to work together for good. Was it by accident that he happened to run away to Rome? No. Was it by accident that he ran away to Rome and met Paul? No. All of that was divinely orchestrated by a sovereign God in bringing this slave Onesimus to faith in Christ so that you don't just get him back for a little while. Uh, Philemon, get used to him being around because he's going to like be around you for the rest of your life. Life, this life and the life to come. Well, it gets better. Verse 16, receive him back no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, with that, very quickly, here comes the command of what he, or the motivation, the command we just saw, receiving back as you would me, here's the motivation. As Paul starts, he says, when you try to uh, gently twist someone's arm, make sure you choose the right words. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, look, remember, especially in marriage, you need the right words plus the right time plus the right way. And I got news for you guys. You can say the right stuff in the right way, but if it's the wrong time, eh, mama ain't going to hear it. She shuts it down. I mean, it's not fair. They shouldn't be that way in my judgment. Charles not here tonight so I can pick on her. But they shouldn't be like that. They, they should, should not act like that, but they do. 
And so you better make sure it's not only the right words and the right way, it better be also the right time. So you need to choose the right words. We'll look at the three words that dominate his, uh, his appeal here. Receive, reckon, and refresh. Now look at it with me, verse 17. If then... You count me as a partner, the Greek word koinonia, a fellowshipper. Receive him. There's the first imperative. This is the first word of command. Receive him. How? As you would me. Philemon, when you see Onesimus, don't you see Onesimus? You see Paul. No, it gets better. If he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, here's the second imperative, Put, it's a banking term, that's why I use the word reckon, reckon it to my account. In other words, if he stole, I'll pay it back. If you've lost wages, I'll compensate. Whatever he has done, you reckon that to me. But then thirdly, Paul says in verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. But I won't mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Now, (laughs) I won't mention it. And he mentions it. I mean, he just sets him up. I won't mention that you owe your life to me. Oh, I just, I just mentioned it, didn't I? I just reminded you that you'd be dying and going to hell if I had not led you to Christ. Now, I'm not going to bring that up. No, no. I, I won't bring that up, but, but he has. Oh, but he gets better. Now the third one, I misspoke a minute ago. Refresh me. Verse 20. Yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh, and there's the third time of the word splagna. Refresh my innermost being, my heart's fine, in the Lord. In other words, the only way you're going to bring joy to my heart, Philemon, is by treating Onesimus as I send him back to you just like you would treat me. And by the way, subtly, not so subtly, I expect you to forgive anything he did. Wipe the slate clean. Now, do you think perhaps Paul, I think so, was operating out of this counsel from his understanding of the gospel? I do. See, I think the, the cross and the gospel has such far-reaching ramifications, sometimes we don't see it. Paul always thought in terms of the cross. And just as our slate was wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ, Paul expects you and me to wipe the slate clean when a brother who has wronged us comes back in repentance, which is exactly what you have now with Onesimus. Again, think about this. Onesimus is basically putting his life on the line. My suspicion is that though he perhaps did not like being a slave, who would? Philemon had not been a terrible person to him. Because if it had been me, and Paul said to go back to my owner, I'd say, have you lost your mind? <laughs> Look, I go back, he, he can do with me whatever he wants to. He may beat me, he may starve me, he may kill me. Paul, in essence, says, trust me. I think I not only know you, I think I know Philemon. Trust me, let me write a letter, let me try to pave the way, let me try to smooth out the rough waters Trust me, you go back. And so Paul writes this very passionate, very moving letter, and in essence says you need to treat him just like you would treat me. So choose the right word. Secondly, communicate with reaffirming wisdom. Express your confidence as to their action and express your confidence as to your reception. And again, don't miss this. It's too good. Verse 21, having confidence in your obedience. 
In other words, hey, Philemon, I'm confident. I, I know you are going to do the right thing. And in fact, I'm so sure of it. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so, meanwhile, prepare a guest room for me. That's the fourth and final imperative. Uh, I'm coming to see you. I'm so confident you will do the right thing. Just go ahead and make room for me. I am coming to see you. I trust that through your prayers, I will be granted to see you. And again, is Paul putting on the heat or what? Not only is Paul writing him. Paul says, oh, I'm coming to see you and I'm confident. I have no doubt you will do what I've asked. Oh, no, no, no. You will do even more. So you communicate with reaffirming wisdom. He's not negative. He's positive. He's not pessimistic. He's optimistic. And then finally, you covenant with respected witnesses, both in terms of earthly confirmation and heavenly confirmation. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Oh, by the way, he, he knows all about this, too. And he says, howdy. And oh, I forgot. Mark says hello. And oh, yeah, Aristarchus says hello. And Demas says, uh, hope you're doing well. And Luke, my fellow, oh, all of them say hey, too. And by the way, they're all watching and waiting to see what you're going to do. And by the way, as you make your decision, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'm out of here. Amen. And he's gone. Now, do we know for certain what Philemon did? For certain, no. Almost certain, yes. First of all, there is a church tradition that a man by the name of Onesimus became a very prominent pastor in Asia Minor. They identify him with this Onesimus. Furthermore, there's another tradition that says that the letters of Paul were gathered together following his death, yes, as we would expect by Timothy, but there's also a church tradition in the New Testament world that a man named Onesimus was involved in it. Thirdly, I have a big question. Why in the rip is Philemon in our Bible? I mean, just just for argument's sake, and don't accuse me of being a heretic or becoming an apostate. But just imagine for a moment, it ain't there. What do we lose theologically? Brother Kai, you're a theologian. What do we lose without Philemon? Not one blooming thing. Nothing. The big goose egg. So why is it here? Well, again, in my sort of romantic bent, I believe that there was a guy that was absolutely doggedly committed to seeing that this got collected with the rest of Paul's letters. And I think that guy was Onesimus. And I think the fact that the book of Philemon is even here is a strong, strong argument that Philemon indeed did what Paul asked and even more. And as a result, we gain, those of us that are going to be in ministry, some great insight in how to handle a difficult situation. Some great wisdom in try to, how to try to bring brothers back together. Great wisdom in how you deal with a spiritual man on a spiritual plane and yet also nudge him, urge him, almost shove him in the right direction to do the right thing. And I'll close with this at the bottom of the page. Um, Kai again knows this good friend of ours, Jim Parker. 
Jim is a very interesting uh, personality. He is a single man in his 50s, which by that very definition means he's an interesting personality. Never has been married. But I remember one day Jim said to me, well, you know, what good are friends unless you use them? And you know what? That's pretty insightful. What good are friends if you can't use them? And so Jim said, friends are not good unless you can use them. But then he says, when you use them, use them good. Now you say, oh, by that he means use them up. No, he means use them in a good way. And in this instance, that's exactly what Paul could do with Philemon. He could use this friend. He could guide this friend. He could urge this friend. He could almost shove this friend in a good way. And I think there's some really good insight and really good wisdom in uh, that observation. I close on page 10 and page 11 with some concluding observations about how to be tactful, using the right word at the right time uh, to the right person. And if you just look at those Proverbs, uh, they will be very, very helpful to you in uh, how you deal with people in a way that will hopefully accomplish the glory of God and the good of saints. I guess my favorite is the one I'll note as we close, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. You say, Danny, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. It's just good, common horse sense. The author of Proverbs is simply saying this. Some fools you need to ignore. Some fools you've got to shut down. Now, you'd say, well, how do you know when? I can't answer that. But I'd say this. Those fools that can't do you much harm, leave them alone. Those fools who have the potential to do great harm to the body of Christ, you better step up to the plate, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, and jaw to jaw. Because some fools will become wise in their own eyes and do great destruction to the body of Christ. Other fools, nobody else is paying attention to them. You don't need to pay attention to them either. Just leave them alone. But there's some great wisdom in those Proverbs, wisdom that I think complements in a beautiful way what we see tonight in this wonderful little book of Philemon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for the wisdom that we find in Philemon as Paul gives us a model of tact. Yes, Lord, a, a, a display and a lesson in gentle arm twisting. And I'm grateful that, Lord, all the evidence would point to the fact that um, Philemon heard him. He received Onesimus as not a slave but a brother. He even let him go. And he became very useful not only to Philemon but to Jesus and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we likewise learn the tack of gentle arm twisting, that we might be good, faithful, wise ministers, servants, children of yours, as we seek to build your kingdom for your glory. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we move to the book of Hebrews. See you then. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe 
working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.